Hail you true sons and daughters. I'm John Miller, and this is Locked on Mizzou, your destination for partisan Missouri Tigers football and basketball talk five days a week. And like I'm guessing you did last night, well, I was locked into the last dance. And, well, of course, there's that famous 1982 shot. This wasn't last night, but the famous 1982 shot, North Carolina, Jordan wins the championship his freshman season. Well, that got me to thinking. You know, we were covering all the what-if scenarios from Mizzou last week. You should check those out if you missed it. But there's one I missed, and that's from 1982. It affects not only the Missouri Tigers, but potentially Michael Jordan if things hypothetically went different as well. So we'll get into that. We'll get into some other basketball thoughts I have tangentially related to the last dance. And also an interesting thought from an athletic piece this week. Our tight ends coach, Casey Woods, mentioned that he thought that the best Missouri players of all time have included Missouri kids. I'm going to find out if that's true or not. But first, I got to remind you guys that today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Go to builtbar.com and use promo code locked on, and you'll get $10 off your first order. And you know what? Speaking of the NBA, and I promise this is coming back to the Tigers really quickly, I was pleased to see that when the NBA took a poll of some of its most famous prominent players from like like the Greek freak, Giannis, LeBron James, Chris Paul, a bunch of prominent guys, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant. Well, it seems like the consensus is, the almost 100% consensus is that those guys want to come back. They want to have a season this year. And that really makes me happy, and it makes me optimistic that we'll have college football and college basketball at least relatively in a normal fashion. We'll see what this all ends up looking like. And honestly, I think... Again, those prominent NBA guys, it's not just that they're NBA players. I mean, those guys I just named are some of the most famous athletes in the world, in in the country, certainly. So their opinions carry a lot of weight. And if most of those guys would have said, you know what, we don't really feel comfortable right now coming back, and as, or if they would have said what sort of the mainstream sports media has been asking, Well, what happens when there's one positive test? Do we shut everything down again? It's just good to see that that wasn't their attitude because, quite frankly, no matter what you think about this virus, and isn't it sort of stunning how this has been divided across partisan lines, but no matter what you think of this, the whole one positive test thing, that was never a realistic standard. And frankly, if that was the standard, then just forget about it. Let's never leave our houses or play sports or do anything fun ever again in our entire lives. Let's just shelter in place and try to simply exist and not live. So basically what I'm saying is it seems like we're taking positive steps toward playing football and basketball again. Baseball too. But of course, we don't talk about baseball here, do we? And then also we've seen that South Carolina – The University of South Carolina has now announced that they're going to reconfigure their fall schedule, which on the surface does make some sense. Basically, they're going to start the semester earlier. They're going to skip fall break. And then once, basically once November hits, I I forgot to write down the exact date, but 
before Thanksgiving, essentially. Well, now I'm remembering. It was November 24th because the Gamecocks play Clemson on November 28th. That's the interesting date to note there. It's four days after they would essentially shut down in-person classes and transfer to online for the rest of the year. Basically, the idea being, all right, let's go to school in the fall, but let's finish out the semester online, not all be in person as to avoid the the colder weather, which COVID seems to flourish in, more so than warm weather, we've learned, right? And just to avoid, you know, what is essentially your usual cold and flu season. Now, to me, just that idea, this sort of dynamic thinking, like, oh, let's maybe try and figure some things out. Let's change what we're doing. But And instead of just this one-size-fits-all, hey, let's shut everything down, which you know other states appear to be doing, I don't know, just that, that idea, the University of South Carolina, what, they're make, what that step makes just so much more sense to me. I don't know about you. Now, obviously, I can't predict the future. I wouldn't even pretend that I could, but it's just seeming more and more likely that we're going to have college football probably on time. Maybe it's going to look a little different. I, I, who knows what all the steps are going to be taken, but I, I'm encouraged right now that we're actually going to see some sports. And you know what? Like some people have said, they're going, you know, I'm surprised that I haven't been as bored during this period as I thought I'd be. I've, I've found plenty of things to do to fill my days without sports. Well, that's great. That's all well and good. And you know what? I've been pretty busy during this period as well. But it's still not the same. Yeah, I can watch Netflix. I can read a book. I can do all kinds of stuff. And all that stuff is a all that stuff is valuable and important parts of life beyond sports. There are certainly incredibly important parts of life beyond sports. But on the other hand, there's nothing like sports. That's the point I'm trying to make. There is a void for me. There really is. There's just nothing quite like that live entertainment and really just to me the ultimate in the human experience in terms of just observing the human condition, seeing a bunch of people, a bunch of egos trying to come together for one common goal. I don't know. I just find the whole thing endlessly fascinating, and I'm guessing you do too since you're listening to this podcast. And you know what else is really endlessly fascinating to me? How is it that Built Bar has managed to take a protein bar and make it taste like a candy bar? How? How is that possible? Well, I'll tell you how, despite the fact that my bullet points for this read will not pull up right now. But you know what? I don't need any bullet points. Lord knows I know Built Bar by heart. And you know what? The thing about Built Bar that I love, once again, is that you can indulge a little bit. You can have your treat. You can have your cake and eat it too. See, even if you're on a diet, you're trying to watch what you eat, you're trying to be a good boy and look good for swimsuit season, well, you know what? Built Bar is here for you because they have awesome taste in a protein bar form. So you know what? All you got to do is use the promo code Locked On when you go to BuiltBar.com and you'll get $10 off that first order. Again, that's one word, promo code Locked On for $10 off your first order at BuiltBar.com. And coming up after this, my what-if scenario for the Tigers from 1982. Well, Peter Baugh over at The Athletic did a nice job of recapping Missouri's 
1982 victory. This was early 82, part of the 82, or I should say late 82, part of the 82-83 campaign. This was actually the season opener of that year. Missouri played and famously defeated Michael Jordan in North Carolina. Missouri was ranked number 15. They were 27-4 and that previous season with a one-point loss in the Sweet 16 to Houston and Phi Slamma Jamma. So there was a lot of good information in this piece, including Ron Jones, who is now an insurance agent in St. Charles, Missouri. Basically, he's been living off the fame of holding Michael Jordan to 13 points for decades now. So, And of course, amusingly, though, Jordan did end up getting the final laugh because, well, Ron Jones made the classic mistake of talking some trash to Michael before that previous game he was saying he was going to hold Michael scoreless. Of course, MJ heard about this. Norm Stewart warned him. He was not too happy about it. Well, that same season, Missouri and North Carolina would meet again in a tournament setting, and Jordan proceeded to drop 19 points on 69% shooting, and North Carolina won by 15. So as usual, Jordan got the last laugh. But you know, it's actually not too difficult to imagine a hypothetical scenario where Stepo and Sunvold would have played Michael Jordan in their junior seasons, in the 81-82 season, where Jordan again was famously the freshman that hit the deciding shot of the national championship game. But you know what? Again, that 82 season, that 82 tournament, well, Missouri got knocked off in the Sweet 16 by one point to Phi Slamma Jamma, Hakeem Olajuwon, Clyde Drexler, and the Houston Cougars, one of the most famous college basketball teams of all time. Well, it's easy to just construct a what-if scenario where somehow a shot, one more shot goes in for Missouri, one more doesn't go in for Houston, and instead the Tigers advance to the Elite Eight to play eight-seeded Boston College. Yes, that's right. The eight-seed Boston College, who had defeated DePaul in the second round, upset them. So second-seeded Missouri, well, essentially, you would think they'd have an easier path, but apparently... Houston was, I don't know, a little bit slower starting there. Hard to believe they were only the three seed at that time. Tough draw for the Tigers. My goodness. Now, ultimately, of course, in in real life, North Carolina would go on to win the national title, and they would defeat the Houston Cougars in the semifinals, in the Final Four, 68-63. So a team that Missouri had played to a one-point contest lost to North Carolina by five. So it's just interesting to think, what if Missouri would have somehow beaten Houston and then obviously beaten Boston College? They certainly would have been a significant favorite against Boston College to reach their first Final Four. So that's a good enough of a what-if if you're a Missouri fan already. However, if you want to go even further and say, well, what if they beat North Carolina somehow as they did the following season? Well, then obviously Michael Jordan never has that famous moment. He never has the famous game-winning shot that Dean Smith drew up for him, essentially, as a true freshman. How does that change his entire career? I mean, who knows? To be that young of a kid and to have that moment, to have the legendary Dean Smith have that level of trust in you, and then for you to come through in that moment, that had to set up Michael Jordan mentally for the rest of his 
career, the rest of his life. I mean, the guy famously had very little doubt about most of his decisions on the court. If he was taking a shot, the idea of him missing the shot never really entered his mind. And I guess if I had that experience my first year of college basketball, maybe I would have that same attitude as well. Now, don't get me wrong. I think mostly it's I think it's mostly nature with Michael Jordan, but a little nurture there may have pushed him along to even greater heights than what he would have been. So, obviously, a great what if there. Not only if you're a Missouri fan, heck, maybe we could have made our first Final Four quite easily. Who knows? Maybe even mess up Michael Jordan's entire career as well. No, obviously I'm kidding there, but seriously, obviously history could have been totally different if you just take a couple what-if steps there. And by the way, speaking of the last dance once again, as much as as much of a joy as it was to watch the Michael Jordan experience live, when you go back and watch these this documentary, it's even more obvious how incredible Michael was, but with the benefit of time and seeing what's happened to basketball in the last 22 years, it's pretty clear that basketball is so much more fun to watch today than it was back then. Because you got to remember, not every game in 1998 involved Michael Jordan. And it was just so stunning to realize, to be reminded, that the Utah Jazz scored 54 points total at the end of the game in a NBA Finals game really not that long ago. This wasn't pre-shot clock. This wasn't 1951. I mean, that is just not very entertaining basketball. And a lot of a lot of the changes has definitely been rules. You're now essentially if now that there's no illegal defense in the NBA as there was in this era, now essentially you have to have five guys on the floor who can score. So that's changed everything. Guys like Greg Ostertag, guys like Jeff Foster, even to a lesser extent, a guy like Antoine Carr. I'm just not sure that those guys have a place in the game anymore. Now, I will say Luke Longley, on the other hand, for Chicago, I think he could still play today. He was much more agile than I actually remembered him being. And honestly, when you just look at Utah's roster, to a lesser extent Chicago's roster, but who was Utah's third best player on that team was it 35 year old Jeff Hornacek was it I I don't know I'm, I'm honestly not sure you could he probably was he certainly was the biggest name but I just think the talent was was so much further down then and honestly as, as somebody who attended a random NBA game in New Orleans before Zion Williamson even came back this past December wasn't even a particularly competitive game but just the way the game pl- is played now. The ball moves. It flows. It's not. It's much less one-on-one play than I think you're you're aware of. If you're somebody who is a go, you like to think about the '90s as the absolute peak of basketball. Well, honestly, I think the early '90s, when you still had Magic Johnson around, you still had Barkley at his peak. That was a much a much more aesthetically pleasing time for the league. Just more talent, more scoring too. Quite honestly, this was pre-Riley's Knicks before those weird teams gummed up the works. Also, another thing I've complained, one thing that I don't like about modern college basketball is how the coaches tend to want to control every single thing. They want to micromanage every possession. 
Well, again, one thing that was great about the last dance, you remember that last game Jordan played. He steals the ball from Carl Malone famously. And the best part is that Phil Jackson doesn't bother to call a timeout. He had one, but he's like, you know what? I got the best player ever with the ball in his hands. I don't want him to get a set defense. Let him figure it out. He's the basketball genius. What can I really tell him to do? This will just allow Utah some time to gather themselves, come up with a plan, maybe substitute, get the right bodies out there defensively. But anyway, that's enough with basketball for now. Let's talk a little bit of football on the other side of this break. I want to try to answer the question that was posed or the premise that was posed. Are the best Missouri teams, do they mostly have Missouri kids? Is that true? We'll find out next. All right, I apologize if you're getting a little bit of background noise at the moment. There seems to be some construction or something or other going on next door, but you know what? I've got a good microphone, and we'll power through. I think we'll be okay. So, you know, it was interesting, again, reading reading The Athletic, as I often do. Missouri's new tight end coach, Casey Woods, had some interesting comments. And, and first of all, I, I, he wanted to clarify something. There's been a lot of talk about how Missouri – under Eli Drinkwitz is now moving to a more regional recruiting a- approach versus positional as Barry Odom did. Well, he, he kind of tried to clarify there. Basically, what happens is under Eli, essentially certain coaches, regardless of their positions, are assigned to a certain geographic area. It might be Kansas City, it might be St. Louis, might be mid-Missouri, whatever it might be. But essentially what those guys do is they canvas. And once they find some guys that they're interested in and they're getting to the point where, oh, we're getting serious with this guy, well, that's when the actual position coach for said player will move in to make the close. So, for instance, again, Casey Woods, he's the tight ends coach. If he finds a guy who might be what he thinks is an interesting quarterback, well, he might come to the quarterback coach, he might just come to Eli and say, hey, you need to come in and close this deal. Basically, that's when the if there's an offer on the table, then, then they'll come in and try to really close it Alec Baldwin style. But I thought it was interesting, and this kind of goes to something Eli has been saying a lot, and his quote was, the best teams that Missouri has ever had have been built on Missouri kids. And you know what? Without going into a huge, long, David Morrison-style spreadsheet breakdown of all those of all the kids from Missouri and the kids not from Missouri on the best teams ever. You know, just my first thought on that was that's mostly true. It really is. Like, think about when Justin Smith came in. That took an already good team and made it much better, for instance, a guy from Jeff City. And you've heard me praise John Staggers if you listen to my 1969 season recap in the 70 Orange Bowl. Well, speaking of Jeff City, another guy from Jeff City in the form of John Staggers. And yeah, guys like Jeremy Macklin, obviously a Missouri kid that stayed home. Guys like Sheldon Richardson. And yes, even another five-star guy like Blaine Gabbert, who for whatever reason, seemingly because of his disappointing NFL career, Maybe isn't appreciated enough by Missouri fans, but but speaking of Gabbert, the thing about the thing that I thought about was actually quarterback 
is the one position where that isn't the case. So yes, while, for instance, like that 2013 team, yeah, most of those great players on that team were from Missouri, including Doriel Green Beckham, the five-star guy on the roster. But you know who wasn't? James Franklin. He was from Texas. And even Matty Mock, who got some run at quarterback on that team as well, well, he was from Ohio. We can go back even further. Speaking of 1969, well, Terry McMillan played in that 1970 Orange Bowl. Famously was the hometown boy there from Coral Gables, Florida. Then you think about Brad Smith, who turned around the Tigers program. Well, he was from Ohio like Mr. Matty Mock. And then, of course, 2007, 2008, Chase Daniel from Texas. Even Phil Bradley was born in Indiana and ended up going to high school in Illinois. So really, oddly enough, quarterback is the one position. It's almost like quarterback is more like basketball recruiting, where it's more of a national thing. You'll you'll uncover more rocks to find that quarterback, perhaps. But maybe it is true. It does seem to be more true at all the other positions that generally the best guys You're going to need some, maybe not the best guys, but you're going to need a significant chunk of your best guys to be from the state of Missouri. Now, I guess the notable exception there is Corby Jones, right? He went to Columbia Hickman. I'm now trying to remember where Curtis Jones was, the Jones family, where they originally came from. But again, I'm I'm sort of stunned by how few of our great quarterbacks were actually from the state of Missouri. It's just kind of interesting. I guess the next question is, while it does seem like, yeah, most of the great Missouri teams have a majority of their kids from Missouri, you wonder if that's a chicken or an egg thing. Does that mean Does that mean the strategy for Eli is, all right, we just have to keep recruiting Missouri kids year after year after year, and then eventually there's going to be there's bound to be a recruiting cycle of excellent Missouri kids, and when that happens, boy, then the Tigers will be ready to pounce. Honestly, that does make some sense because in this state, there isn't enough high-level talent to be LSU or Alabama or Georgia every year. There's just not. But every once in a while, there's going to be enough clustered together that if you can just take advantage of that cluster, well, maybe that's how you get real magic at the University of Missouri. All I know is is Eli and Casey Woods and the rest of the staff They've really been focusing on the state, and so far it's paying big dividends. be interesting to see if in three or four years we're talking about this class, maybe among some of those great classes from Missouri teams of past. So with that said, I want to encourage you all to check out another show on the Locked On Network called Locked On Chiefs. Why? Because, well, it happens to be my favorite show on this network, other than my own, of course. So yeah, check out those guys. They're really knowledgeable and just a lot of fun. Good broadcasters over there. So with all that being said, until next time, I am John Miller, and this has been Locked on Mizzou.